All right, so we're in Deuteronomy 21, verse number 10. <clears throat> we'll be continuing our series on using the law lawfully, looking at the Old Testament, and uh, studying the laws so that we understand them, and understand if and how they apply to us as Gentile believers. So we've got two to look at today, both of them in Deuteronomy. Uh, one in Deuteronomy 21, the next one will be Deuteronomy 24. And so they both have to do with marriage. First one, Deuteronomy 21, 10 through 14, has to do with the law for marrying a female captive. So let's look at uh, Deuteronomy 21. Verse number 10, When thou goest forth to war against thine enemies, and the Lord thy God hath delivered them into thine hands, and thou hast taken them captive, and seest among the captives a beautiful woman, and hast a desire unto her that thou wouldst have her to thy wife. Then thou shalt bring her home to thine house, and she shall shave her head and pare her nails, and she shall put the raiment of her captivity from off her, and shall remain in thine house, and bewail her father and her mother a full month. And after that thou shalt go in unto her, and be her husband, and she shall be thy wife. And it shall be, if thou have no delight in her, then thou shalt let her go whither she will, but thou shalt not sell her at all for money. Thou shalt not make merchandise of her, because thou hast humbled her. Okay, so here is the command for marrying a captive woman uh, from a nation that's been defeated in battle. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, God required that, well, let me back up. There's a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot negative that has said about this command and about how God. Uh, was in favor of the Israelites raping the women that they captured in battle. And, you know, the whole idea of the Stone Age concept, you go out and kill the husbands and throw the women over your shoulders and take them back with you to be yours. Uh, that's not what this is about. Uh, that's it's far from it. This is actually completely opposed to that and God saying that that's not allowed. Uh, so let's, let's look at what it actually is about. The main focus of this verse is that God required a one-month waiting period before a Jewish man was allowed to marry a female captive. That's the focus of the passage. It's not The focus of the passage is not on being able to marry this woman that you captured in battle. The focus is, if you happen to capture a woman, you know, you defeated the city, all the men are killed, and the women and the children now become, uh, in essence, the slaves, and we'll look at the slavery laws later, but in essence, the slaves of Israel. Do. And so you see the woman as a, a male soldier. He's like, I want to have her as my wife. God said, hold on, buddy. you got to wait a whole month before you can have her as your wife. That's what the passage is about. So that the main focus is that God required a one-month waiting period before a Jewish man was allowed to marry a female captive uh, from a a nation that they had defeated in battle. Now, during this time, the woman was to mourn for her losses from the war. So she's to mourn the fact that she no, no longer is with her parents. She's now uh, in this house with uh, a man that's eventually going to marry her. It says, mourn her father and her mother. Her father is probably dead at this time because they go into battle and they kill all the, the able-bodied men because they're the soldiers. So unless her father was very feeble and unable to, to go to war in the first place, her father's probably dead at this time. So she's going to be mourning the death of her father. 
She's going to be mourning the absence of her mother from her life at this time, at this point in time. So that's a, a one-month time period for the woman to mourn her losses from the war. Now also remember, <clears throat> before we go too much further, this is only allowed against the, the cities where they refused peace. Israel was first to proclaim an offer of peace to the city. And the city refuses peace and they want to go to war. Then Israel goes to war against them and defeats them. So this is a city where the men have decided we're going to go to war to Israel and we're not going to seek peace. So the, the fault is on the defeated city, not on Israel in such a case. All right, so anyway, let's go on. So now she's given this time to, to mourn for the loss from the war. This also gives the man a time to observe her because she's in his house for this period of mourning. He can observe her, observe her attitude, her mannerisms. It gives time for his passions to cool, because you see in, in verse number 11, seest among the captives a beautiful woman. This is all, his, his whole interest in her starts with just the fact that she's beautiful. So this is just fleshly passions that initiates this. And God gives a one-month waiting period. That's time for those passions to cool a little bit, him to use his head a little bit, and decide whether he actually wants this woman to be his wife and be stuck with her for the rest of his life. Because we're going to look at the next law about divorce. He couldn't divorce her. Uh, he was stuck with her. And so gives him a time for his passions to cool, time for him to observe the woman and figure out if he really wants her to be his wife. And then this also, it's not mentioned here explicitly, but you can kind of read into it. This also gives the woman... An opportunity to demonstrate to him that if he marries her, his life's going to be miserable. <laughs> if she doesn't want to marry him, she can make it very plain and clear during this one-month period that if the, he goes through with the marriage, he's going to regret it. Um, so she has the opportunity to do that. And you know, a woman who's facing a marriage that she's not going to be in favor of, she would very likely take advantage of such an opportunity if she knows it's there. So that's, that's the purpose of that one-month uh, waiting period, for her to mourn from her loss. It gives him a chance to let his passions cool and to observe her, decide whether to go through the, with the marriage, and then her a chance to decide whether to go through with the marriage and uh, as far as making his life miserable and making him not want the marriage, or to submit and say, you know, I really appreciate this guy. I think I, I could have a, a good life with him. I'm going to be kind and grateful and uh, submissive, and she can display all that during that month, and the marriage will likely go ahead. <clears throat> so, then at the end of the month, uh, if he wanted, still wanted to marry her, he could do so. We can see that at the end of verse number 13. And after that, thou shalt go in unto her, and be her husband, and she shall be thy wife. So the marriage is after that month. If he still wants to go through with the marriage, then he can go through with the marriage. And then verse number 14 is where a lot of people say that this is uh, basically God allowing rape of the female captives. Because verse 14 says, And it shall be, if thou have no delight in her, then thou shalt let her go whither she will, thou shalt not sell her all for money, etc. So basically saying, people say that this verse means he gets to go in, he gets to spend some time with her, fulfill his passions, and then if he doesn't like her, he can just kick her to the curb. That's not what I think this passage is talking about. Uh, the and it shall be does not necessarily have to follow in time sequence right after 
and she shall be thy wife. It could be parallel to and after that. So after that month, he can go in under her and, and her be his wife. Or it could be saying, and after that month, if thou have no delight in her, then thou shalt let her go. And I think that's the consistent interpretation, being consistent with the rest of Scripture about uh, marriage and divorce and things like that. So at the end of that month, if he has no delight in her, then he can let he should let her go wherever she wants. So at, if he decides not to marry her, he's required to let her go free. He can't keep her as a slave. He can't sell her as a slave to someone else. He's announced to everyone that he was going to marry her, and then now he's not marrying her, so obviously there's something going on here, something wrong, so people are going to think poorly of this woman uh, because of the fact that he's decided this, this is not a woman that, that I want to marry. So if he tries to, uh, he's, at the end of the verse, he's humbled her. That's what it's talking about. He's taken away her reputation. She's in a lower position socially than she was before because now he's broken off this intent to marry her and people are going to assume something's wrong with her. She's got a you know, horrible attitude or something like that. So she's not going to be as desirable as a wife because of that. So he's not allowed to sell her. He's not allowed to have her as a slave. Uh, she now gets to go free and do whatever she wants with her own life. And so that's what this passage is talking about. It's talking about uh, that one month waiting period. If a man sees a woman among the captives, desires her because she's beautiful, he has to wait a whole month. She gets to mourn. He gets a time to determine whether or not he actually wants to marry her. And then at the end of the month, he can either marry her or he can let her go free. He can't just have his way with her. He has to choose either marriage or freedom for, for her. All right, so that's the Old Testament law. Now, for the New Testament application, there's no direct application of this to Gentile believers. It's, there's nothing in the New Testament that hints at this applying to Gentiles. There's nothing in the Old Testament that hints at this being a, a universal law that applied to both Gentiles and to Jews. So there's no direct application to Gentile believers. However, it does give us a good example of not giving in to fleshly desires. And it's a good passage to... Uh, take young men to when they say oh she's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen I, I have to marry her you take them to this passage and say well God said that uh, even if a man saw a, a beautiful young woman among the captives and he thought she's the most beautiful thing on the face of the earth and he wants to marry her God said he had to wait a month and so it's a good idea to wait and not come to that uh, decision that you have to have her right now uh, but wait a little bit observe her and see if she's worth having. She might be beautiful on the outside and ugly on the inside. Uh, and you want to make sure that she's the right one for you. So it's a good example for not giving in to fleshly desires. I think this also is a good demonstration of God's protection of women. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, there's many passages uh, about women and about uh, men desiring them, and it's always very protective of the woman. And in this case, God specifically says that men are not, well, first of all, if you go back to Deuteronomy 20, when they were given the commands and the laws for uh, going into battle, they were not allowed to kill women in battle. They're not allowed to intentionally kill the women and children. So it starts with that. And then they're not allowed to rape the female captives. It doesn't say if you see a beautiful woman among the female captives that you can have her right then. 
which is what the Muslim laws say. Uh, and then many other, not to just pick out the Muslims, but many other religions also had that same philosophy. If they, if it's a captured woman from a, a battle, you can have her right then and there. There's no need to wait. No need to marry her. No, God said, no, you can't do that. It's specifically forbidden uh, for the, the male soldiers of the Israelites to rape the female captives. Uh, and then also, if a man desired a woman among the captives, he had to wait a full month before he could act on that desire. And then after that, he had a duty to either marry her or to give her her freedom. And when he marries her, he has all the duties of marriage that he has to provide for her. So he has to provide all of her food or clothing and place for her to live. And can't divorce her. And so there's a, a significant duty that he has to provide to her. So he can either do that or he can let her go free. And it's part of God's method for preventing captured women from becoming sex slaves, which is what you see in the, the is Islamic world uh, even today with uh, Boko Haram and, and uh, all that going on. Um, that was expressly forbidden uh, to, the Israel, to the Israelites by this passage. So that's the, the law on marrying a female captive and uh, God's forbidding of the raping of female captives. Doesn't actually apply to us directly as Gentiles, but it's, it's still a good law that we can learn from. Any comments or questions on that one before we move on to the next one? Alright, well, let's move on to the law of divorce. That's Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24, verse number 1. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. Excuse me. <clears throat> and when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house. Or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, or after that she is defiled. For that is abomination for the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Okay, so here we have the law of divorce. The Old Testament command is that a Jewish man was allowed to divorce his wife only if she was involved in lewd behavior. That was the only reason for divorcing a wife. It's not referring to uh, adultery or extramarital intercourse because that bore the death penalty. That wasn't a divorce issue. That was a, a life and death issue. If the woman was guilty of adultery, she was put to death along with the man who was also guilty of that adultery. And remember, we looked back if there was no man so there's no evidence of her committing adultery it can't be proven then she's basically in, assumed to be innocent you know the husband can take her to the temple and she can drink a, a little bit of the water that the priest sprinkles some dust on and that's a uh, that's not likely to produce any sickness if it did produce sickness then she would be considered guilty if not she's considered innocent so there's a presumption of innocence in the adultery cases 
this is a case separate from adultery. <clears throat> this is a case referring to lewdness. The word here, uncleanness, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, is actually the word for shameful nakedness. That's what it's talking about. It says public nudity, stuff like that, her, her being uh, shamefully naked in front of other men. That's what this is talking about. That was the only grounds for divorce that was allowed in the law. Couldn't divorce for adultery. For adultery, she's just put to death. There's no need for a divorce. Uh, but there was allowed for uh, public nudity or uh, indecent exposure, lewdness, uh, that type of behavior. Uh, God allowed adultery in those cases. Now we also see that a woman divorced for this reason was free to marry again. So it wasn't a divorce and then she can't marry anyone else. Uh, it was, she's divorced from the man. She can now marry again and marry another husband who may say, you know, I know you had this in your past. I see that you've repented of it. I'll forgive you. I'll take you to be my wife. And they can go on and have a, a happy and successful and blessed marriage. And so it's, it's, not, it's not a capital offense like adultery was. It's not something that bore uh, a lifelong punishment. Uh, it, was, it was just the man could choose to divorce her in that case if he wanted to. And if he did, she was free to marry another man uh, if he would take her. Uh, however, uh, it does say that the former husband is not allowed to marry her again under any circumstance. So you couldn't write a, a divorce paper and uh, divorce the wife and then later remarry her because the second husband died or uh, because the second husband gave her a divorce also. So, so that was the Old Testament command. The Jewish man was allowed to divorce his wife only if she was allowed in lewd or was involved in lewd behavior. And then he could not marry her again, but she was free to marry uh, some other husband. <clears throat> now, if she remained unmarried after that, I would assume that she would be allowed to go back to her first husband if she hadn't married another husband, because it only says that he can't marry her if she has married a new husband, and then that husband has either divorced her or passed away. Then the first husband cannot marry her again. So I would assume that the reconciliation of a husband with his divorced wife who had not remarried would have been perfectly fine under the Old Testament law. All right, so that's the, that's the law of divorce in the Old Testament. Now the New Testament does have a direct application of this law for us. We'll look at three passages in the New Testament starting with Matthew chapter 5. And the New Testament law for a divorce is actually a little bit stricter in some areas and a little bit more lax in other areas. It's, it's different. The law that God said for believers and specifically Gentile believers to follow is a little different from the law that he had the Jews follow. And I have no explanation for why there's a difference. Uh, it could just be that because the Jews were God's chosen people that he wanted them to have a little bit of a difference in that area. He wanted them to to represent him a little more clearly uh, than he desires for the Gentiles to represent him. Uh, it's, it's just, obviously, God desires for there to be no divorce because he says in Malachi that the Lord hateth the putting away. Uh, that's referring to men putting away their wives. The Lord hateth putting away. He hates divorce. So he doesn't want divorce in any case. But there were separate uh, reasons for allowing divorce for, among Jews and 
the reason for allowing divorce among Gentiles. And so we'll, we'll look at that. We're going to start with the two passages that everyone looks at when they look at divorce in the New Testament, and that's Matthew 5 <clears throat> and then Matthew 19. And, of course, the other Gospels uh, have some of these parallel passages with these also. But Matthew 5, verse 31, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Okay, so here we have Jesus saying, it hath been said one way, and now I'm going to say something else. And a lot of people say that what Jesus is doing here is saying, this is what you heard in the Old Testament. I'm going to change it and give you a new command here in the New Testament. But he doesn't do that with anything in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't take an Old Testament law and change it to be something else in the New Testament. What he does is takes what they have mistakenly proclaimed to be the Old Testament law, and he corrects it and says, let me show you what the law actually says. And all of his, but I say unto you passages in the Sermon on the Mount, are all references directly back to Old Testament passages. And in this case, verse 32, where he says, but I say unto you, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 24, when he says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. Whosoever marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. So he's the saving for the cause of fornication. That is the lewdness that is mentioned back in Deuteronomy, the uncleanness that Deuteronomy mentions. That's what he's talking about. Now, the it hath been said was, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. That's not what adultery says. Or not what adultery, that's not what Deuteronomy says. It doesn't say, whoever wants to put away his wife, whoever wants to divorce his wife, just give her a bill of divorcement. That's not what it says in Deuteronomy. It says that you, a man could give his wife a bill of divorcement if he found uncleanness in her, meaning if he found her to, to be participating in lewd behavior. And so Christ was correcting that correcting their misunderstanding of the Old Testament, where they said a man can put away his wife for any reason. He said, nope, what the Bible actually says and what the law actually says is that you can only put away your wife for the cause of fornication. If you get a divorce for any other reason, you're causing your wife to commit adultery, and a woman who is divorced for any other reason, <clears throat> he that marries her is committing adultery. Now, this is just a repeat of the and a clarification of the Deuteronomy passage. So this is still not applying to Gentiles. This is just applying to Jews. So let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Look at the other passage where Christ talks about divorce. Starting in verse number 3 of Matthew 19. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, see, that's what Jesus was talking about back in the Sermon on the Mount, where uh, he said, Ye have heard that it hath been said, or it hath been said that uh, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. And so here they're asking him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So they're not asking, is it lawful to have a divorce? They're asking, is it lawful to have no-fault divorce, or a divorce for any reason? Uh, and he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read 
that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I, and I say unto you, not but I say unto you, and I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. And so here we have basically the exact same thing he said uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, saying that the only exception for the prohibition against divorce is for this case of fornication, which is the Greek word. Uh, there is the same word as the Hebrew word for uh, public lewdness, for lewd behavior, uh, indecent exposure, and things like that. Those would be categorized under fornication. So except for cases like that, there's no divorce. And so that's, he's just reiterating the Old Testament law. So again, this is just applying to the Jews. It's not applying to the Gentiles. So to find out what God says about divorce among Gentiles, we have to turn to a passage that's actually written for Gentiles. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And it amazes me that so few people that write about divorce uh, from the Bible so very few of them ever turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. They focus on the Old Testament law, and they focus on what Jesus says in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 and the other Gospels, and they don't turn to 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is written specifically for Gentile believers dealing specifically with the topic of divorce. And so why would you not go there? Personally, I think it's because they don't like the answer they find there, but... You know, maybe they're just ignorant of, of this particular passage. But 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he said, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. So there's a command. Wives, don't leave your husbands. That's the command. It's given to Gentile believers. Verse number 11, But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband. So in the case that she does depart from her husband, the next thing that falls under the command of God to her is to not be married again. Stay single, unmarried, or remarry the husband that you left. So that's the, the command. And then the third part of the command, let not the husband put away his wife. So husbands, don't divorce your wives. So in 1 Corinthians 7, we have a, an express command to believers that they're not to get divorced. So that's that's the command to believers. Now this is talking about a believing husband and a believing wife. Both of them saved. They're not to get divorced. That's the command. Sometimes people break commands. And so God gives a follow-up command. The follow-up command is for the wife to remain single. Now he doesn't say that to the husband. I would advise that that would still be wise for the husband also so that he can be reconciled to the wife, but it's not necessarily commanded in this case. Okay, so that's the command for a believing wife and a believing husband. There is an exception for believers if they're married to unbelieving spouses, and that's seen in verses 12 through 15. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Now this is Paul very clearly saying, 
This is my exception. God has not commanded me to say this. However, we know that God allowed him to say it. So this is saying being spoken not by God's command, but by God's permission. So God permitted Paul to say this and gave his uh, ascension to it and his agreement to it. All right, so, but to the rest, speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. So if you're married to a woman that's lost, and she doesn't want to leave you, she wants to stay married to you, don't get a divorce. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So again, lost husband, saved wife, but they're happy together, they're willing to stay together and, and stay married, don't get a divorce. And then verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such a case, or in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. And so the one exception is if you're, if you have a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse and the unbelieving spouse wants to leave and wants to get a divorce the believing spouse is to allow them to do that and that's what what God says that's fine you can allow them to get the divorce uh, there's no mark against your character in such a case you're no longer under bondage is the word that Paul uses there so that's the exception for believers we have an express command here in 1 Corinthians 7 that when you have two believers that are Married, they are not to get divorced. Uh, if they do, they're to stay single. And then you have the command, if if you have a mixed house, believer and unbeliever, then the believer is not to seek a divorce, but not to, uh, not to feel bad if there is a divorce that takes place because the unbeliever leaves. That's, that's okay. God understands. That's a case where there's no guilt. Uh, you're no longer under bondage in such a case. Now, when it says no longer under bondage, that's a reference that we can take back to Romans chapter 7. And let's turn there, Romans 7 and verse number 2. Now, remember, if the, or if the two believing spouses separate and get a divorce, they're to remain single. But in if it's a case where an unbelieving spouse leaves the believer, then God says you're no longer under bondage. And when we read in Romans 7 verse 2, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now, it's interesting here that he uses the word bound to refer to the binding of a woman by law to her husband while he's alive. And in 1 Corinthians 7, he says you're no longer under bondage if an unbelieving spouse gets a divorce. And so I think those two can be joined together and show that if a, a, a believer is divorced because of an unbelieving spouse leaving them, that in that case... The believer can can remarry, uh, marry another believer, or, or however God leads them. I think it would be best for them to marry another believer. I think that's the uh, wisdom that is taught in Scripture, but it's not commanded. Uh, so they're free to remarry at that time, 
based on a combination of 1 Corinthians 7 with Romans 7. Uh, but the main thing is that if you have two believing spouses, they are commanded to not get a divorce. Um, and of course, you have all these questions that people always bring up. Uh, what about cases where people have broken all those commandments, and so now you have this person divorced from this person, this person divorced from that person, and they're married here, and then they've gotten a divorce, and married other, you know, have all these different mixed up cases with all the divorces. Uh, I would go back to 1 Corinthians 7 when you're looking at what to do now with a, an already mixed up family, an already messed up situation with marriages and divorces. You go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, and I didn't write down the actual verse, so let's go down. There are verse number 26. They had the same or a similar uh, concerning situation there in Corinth because they were Gentiles, unbelievers, and so they had all kinds of messed up families. Uh, and then in verse number 26, Paul says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. So what do you do with these messed up situations? I say that it is good for a man so to be, Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. And so if you have this whole messed up situation with your family with all these different divorces, and Paul says wherever you are now, that's where you stay. And so if you have a case where you know, two, two believing spouses had gotten a divorce in the past, and they've now... Uh, remarried? Are they now living in sin and adultery every day of their life? No. God says, if you're bound to a wife, which they are then bound to each other legally, seek not to be loosed. So they shouldn't get a divorce all over again and live singly from then on. No, they should continue in that marriage. And you have, of course, Hebrews... Of course, you have the passage in Hebrews talking about uh, marriage is honorable and all the bed undefiled. So when you're in a marriage, that marriage is honorable from then on. And it's the way that I, I think that the Hebrews pass, passage is supposed to be interpreted. But the main law that God gives for believers is that they're not to get any type of divorce. The only exception would be if an unbeliever that's married to them wants a divorce and chooses to leave there to allow them to leave. There is no fornication or lewdness exception to the New Testament prohibition against divorce. And that's, that's one of the interesting facts. Now, you can make an argument say that the, that same prohibition from the Old Testament law, or that same uh, exception from the Old Testament law, you can say that still applies in the New Testament, but I don't see it. Uh, I don't see that exception anywhere for Gentile believers in the New Testament. All right, any comments or questions before we head on out since the bell's already rung? So if they're both unbelievers and they're married, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if they're both unbelievers and they're married, they're already both condemned to hell. And like, <laughs> That's yeah. right. Or if you're Jew and your wife gets a job at a strip joint, you can divorce her. Right. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and pray and be dismissed. We'll come back again next week.
Brother Ramon, why don't you dismiss us in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you, dear Lord, for all the blessings. We thank you for this day, this opportunity, how you bless us, how you love us, dear Lord. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ.